You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 100 of the Apple Insider Podcast, where we discuss all things Apple, Mac, iPhone, iPad, and more. With me is Editor-in-Chief, Neil Hughes. Hey, Victor. How's it going? Excellent. How are you doing? Doing well. Settling into the new apartment? <laughs> I guess. Uh, it takes some time, you know? Yeah. Well, you fully kitted that thing out with, with tons of Philip Hue bulbs and, and things like that. So I, I think it ought to be great. I'd love to see it someday. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's nice to have everything kind of controlled by voice. It's coming together slowly, but uh, yeah. And that, my friends, is how you invite yourself to Neil's house. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a ton of questions from our, our listeners and readers. And before we get to that, I want to go over one of our uh, our offers for all of our listeners. So we've got some killer deals. You can save $130 to $350 instantly on Apple's new Touch Bar MacBook Pros with Apple Care, plus no tax in 48 states. So this is a first-come, first-served offer. Apple Insider readers can use exclusive coupons this week to instantly save between $130 to $350 on pre-orders for every possible configuration of Apple's new late 2016 MacBook Pros bundled with Apple Care. Uh, this is through our friends at Adorama. And... <laughs> We will have the link on our website, come through our Apple price guide and use the promo code APINSIDER and Adorama will be happy to sell you one of these with the instant savings and also not collect sales tax on orders shipped outside of New York and New Jersey. We'll go ahead and have that in the show notes and we'll get right into the show now. So Neil, one of the questions that we had was, what are Apple's plans for the pro user? (laughs) And, and I know that you don't exactly know Apple's plans, at least not down to the detail, but we, we had an article that Roger wrote about this, about how there are a lot of people really concerned that Apple is losing focus on the Mac, that, that uh, there is no dedicated Mac team, that there is no Mac Pro, that, that the Mac feels like an afterthought to iOS. Well, to be clear, there there is a dedicated Mac team. Uh, the Mac is not dead. Uh, but the focus is very much so on the iPhone. Uh, that's just kind of the way things are. That's where the money's at, and that's what consumers are buying. And and anybody who doesn't realize that hasn't been paying attention. Uh, this was a story that came out through Bloomberg this week, and it was clear that Apple kind of wanted to get the jump on it because a few days before, a memo from Tim Cook to an internal Apple employee or two internal employees uh, leaked out conveniently uh, saying that uh, Apple saw a bright future for its uh, app, its Mac desktops and that it had plenty of stuff in the pipeline. But now, the comment was by, great desktops are coming, right? Right. But the, the way that the quote was worded led a number of people, myself included, to believe that uh, Apple sees the future of the desktop in the iMac and uh, would seem to suggest that the Mac Pro, which hasn't now been updated in, I guess, three years. It was end of thir- 2013 that the new design launched. Um, it's kind of a niche product in what is already a niche subset of computing, uh, the Mac. Uh, and it would seem that Apple is not particularly focused on the Mac Pro. And that is upsetting to a lot of users that uh, want, are developers, you know, filmmakers, whatever, that want high-end machines. But um, I, I would have to say that, you know, from whatever the, the, the numbers that Apple has internally, whatever their justification for it is, uh, at the end of the day, they're a business. And they're going to do what it takes to make money and to stay in business. And most of the focus is on the iPhone. And that's just the way it is. So I I was reading in my Twitter feed this morning, uh, someone that I follow said that the the Mac is 
on maintenance mode and that the Mac is essentially existing as developer machine to build iOS apps. I mean, it's hard to disagree with that. It's hard to disagree with that. Um, You can see the level of innovation that's taking place in the Mac is uh, not particularly high uh, as compared to how it's been before. Um, You know, you have new thinner designs, you have a switch to USB-C ports, you have better retina displays, you have the touch bar. Uh, I really like current Macs. I like the MacBook Pro, but there's certainly a sense of when you see things like the, uh, uh, what do they call that surface uh, iMac ripoff? The the one that the the Microsoft Surface that is the uh, the the, the Wacom one, kind of style thing, right? It, it folds down into a desktop that you draw on. Yeah, and, and I mean we're talking about niche devices, and and that's certainly another one where not a lot of people are that are going to be doing traditional computing are going to see a need for that device. However, uh, it, it is generating buzz for Microsoft. I think it's easier for Microsoft to focus on products like that because they already lost the mobile race anyhow. I mean, you know, Apple is making money hand over fist from the iPhone. The iPhone accounts for 60, 70 some odd percent of its revenue. Um, and even the iPad is bigger than the Mac uh, in terms of unit sales for sure. Um, and revenue from the iPad is going back up now that the Pro models are out. So, you know, you you look at those uh, options that are out there on the table right now, and the Mac Pro is not something that's been getting focus, and the MacBook Pro took a while to get updated, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Intel processors, uh, all that sort of stuff uh, that they're kind of beholden to their partners. But I, I think that some big changes may be coming to the Mac in the next three, four, five years, especially if Apple starts going with its own in-house, in-house chips. But I don't know that they're the kind of changes that "quote unquote" pro users are going to be really excited about. Right. So, so for the pro user, you think that pro users need to make their own plans and need to think about what uh, what, what their future of computing looks like. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 difficult to say. I mean, what are your options, right? You know, roll your own Linux machine, go over to Windows or something. Um, well, no, you can buy a bunch of old Macs, stockpile them, and keep them loaded with the software that you use on them. Yeah, but if they're they're underpowered, um, I think Look, what I, I, for all I'm saying power. is, I mean, I know people that are are stuck on iMovie six because that was the tool that worked the best for them before they threw out what iMovie was and redid it. Right. So you keep a machine around that runs that, and um, you know, keep going on the tools you need, and and suffer through uh, uh, whatever hardware it's running on and whatever version of OS ten it's running, just so you can run iMovie. I mean. I can't imagine that a lot of people are going to do that. But this is, again, we're talking about a subset of a subset of computing customers, right? You know, the Mac is what? Uh, at best, it, it per market, 10% of... of uh, it's always sales. been pretty low in percentage, and that's that's never mattered until, you know, well, recent years. That's because in recent years, the iPhone came out, and it makes a lot more money, and in many ways, is the future of personal computing. All you have to do is listen to Steve Jobs' comments about PCs being trucks. That's just what it is that that's that's apple's internal philosophy that was a guiding philosophy even before steve left and it continues to be to this day they haven't abandoned the mac they continue to put out new hardware but it's not as pro focused it's more prosumer slash consumer focused and for those users that really need high-end professional grade stuff uh they're just not catering to them as much anymore because they don't see a need to okay so i'm gonna Framing it like this, you're telling me that I need to listen to Steve Jobs, who said that in 2010, we're in the post-PC era, and then Tim Cook, who says that the iPad Pro is the future of computing. And so for the Pro user, the expectation is that you will use an iPad Pro. (laughs) No, I I don't think so. Um, I think that 
uh, I think that the expectation is that the iPad is going to continue to get better. Uh, iPad Pro is obviously a branding uh, thing that, that Apple did. Um, but yeah, so I think that the iPad Pro is more of a branding thing than anything else. Um, I think that uh, certainly a, a lot of professional grade folks that are doing high end photo editing or video editing or certainly iOS development are not going to be replacing their Mac with an iPad uh, anytime soon. I think that Apple would eventually like to get there. But uh, as we're in this kind of awkward transition phase, um, you you know, the, the criticism, of course, that would be leveled at Apple would be you're the biggest company on the planet. You have more money than you could ever know what to do with. How can you not focus on uh, multiple products at once? Why is it so difficult for Apple to uh, put resources toward multiple products? And, and it feels like they, they focus all their effort on putting one thing out and then the focus kind of shifts to another and they allocate resources accordingly and stuff like that. And, you know, you have to assume that that's part of Apple's corporate structure or something, the way that they're uh, laid out there, the way that things are intended to be done. But uh, certainly can't disagree with that criticism that, you know, perhaps Apple should find a better way to focus on all these products and give them the attention that they deserve. Yeah. And they've had that problem since I, I want to say, uh, gosh, Leopard and Snow Leopard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That this, this is, you know, that was the one where they got up at WWDC and said, we're delaying everything. Um, we'll release the operating system when we're getting ready. Right, because they had to apparently allocate developers from Snow Leopard over to iOS because it was running behind schedule. So again, where's the focus at? Um, There's a product that makes more money, is bought by more consumers, um, and is... Uh, what Apple sees as the future of computing, you know, whatever, skate to where the puck's going to be, you know, as they say. So uh, I I think that's why you see this shift in Apple. And for a long time, Apple devotees, uh, this is uh, something that is upsetting to them, but Apple runs a business, so. All right. Let's move on to our next question, which is from Nick Hurl in the UK. And Nick writes, uh, happy happy 100th episode, guys. Really enjoy your podcast every week. My question is, why are people so obsessed with high-capacity iPhones for storing photos and videos? I ask this because I'm a big user of iCloud photo sharing. I have the ability to save 500,000 photos and videos and also share them with my family. This does not cost me any extra money, nor does it eat into my iCloud storage, weirdly. Why are users not opting for this feature? I mean, so, Neil, mm-hmm. you, you like a big iPhone. I did, and I had to downgrade because uh, I switched to a 64 gig iPhone SE because it's the largest they make. Uh, I, but I had a 128 gig iPhone before that, and if I were buying a new one now, I'd get a 256 gig. Um, certainly, Apple has done things in recent years, I think mostly to quiet the critics who say that uh, 16 gig um, iPhone was not enough. Certainly, they fixed that this year by getting rid of the 16 gig entry level capacity, but Uh, There were a lot of people who couldn't even install iOS updates because it would take up too much space or require too much space to download in order to install. Um, And so Apple made these uh, changes to uh, shrink photos, store them in the cloud, that sort of stuff. Um, As for why somebody would want a larger capacity iPhone, uh, well, in my case, for example, I don't want to have to download photos. I'll go back through photos that I took, you know, uh, years ago. Um, it's much easier to find photos now with all the power that has been put into the Photos app on iOS um, between uh, the quick browsing and thumbing over the photos, search capabilities, tagging people's faces, you name it. I'm going back and finding old photos all the time. Um, and the, the search capabilities are, are very powerful. 
And if you tap on a photo that is saved on your phone, it loads a low resolution one, and then it needs to download the higher resolution one from the cloud, which uses data and takes time. And if you don't have a data connection, like if you're on a flight or if you are on a, you know, a train subway underground or something like that, or just in a place that has poor connection or slow internet or what have you, uh, that becomes something of a problem as well. Um, not to mention, um, if you're like me and you like to listen to music offline and, for example, transfer it to your Apple Watch when you want to exercise, you have to have it stored on your phone to do that kind of stuff, to listen to it on a flight where you may not have internet connection, again, on subway or something like that, uh, that all takes up space. And so at any given time, my phone has anywhere from 10 to 20 gigabytes of music on it, uh, it has 15 to 20 gigabytes of photos and, and videos on it, not to mention all the apps and stuff that you download, which are getting bigger and bigger by the day. Um, so there's a lot of reasons to have a higher capacity, um, phone. I think that Apple has done a good job of kind of satisfying both markets, the ability to keep stuff stored off your phone. Uh, the fact that, uh, data and, uh, app purchases and all that are saved in the cloud. So you can delete stuff and reinstall it when you need it. Um, it's easier than ever to get by with a smaller capacity phone if you really want to. Uh, but I think that buying a, a higher capacity phone is usually a good idea because then you don't have to, you just don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. I, I agree. Um, I'm looking at my usage in my iPhone currently, and it says that I've got 47 gig used, and 13 gig of that is photos, and I do allow it to use the cloud for for storage, so it's doing the the downloading of the low resolution first, or showing the low resolution first, and then downloading the high resolution image, mm-hmm. but I have enough capacity on the phone that it's allowed itself to balloon that much, rather than keeping it more stringently in the cloud. Uh, Amazon Prime Instant Video ate up a bunch. Uh, a GPS application ate up a bunch for offline maps. Um, Twitter's chewing up some. iMovie's chewing up some. Podcasts, surprisingly, are chewing up about 578 meg. But uh, I suspect that all of these would be a lot leaner if I had the smaller gigabyte phone. It forces you to. And if you buy a higher capacity phone, it's one thing that one less thing you have to worry about. And I suppose if you're obsessive compulsive or a neat freak or whatever, you might be the type to do that anyhow, in which case more power to you, get a lower capacity phone. But what I like to do when possible is just to buy the bigger capacity and just not worry about it. You know, I have a terabyte of storage on Dropbox and I don't ever really have to worry about cleaning it up. Um, and I, when I downsized, one of the things that I did was I moved all the movies that I had saved on my phone to Dropbox and just deleted them off my phone. So they're no longer there. Um, because I just didn't, you know, have the space form and they're shot in 4k now and they take up a a ton of space on there. Uh, I also download an app. I think it's called, uh, uh, I I think lively, uh, or no, I think that's the one that turns them into gifts, but there's some app on there that, uh, goes through and finds live photos on my phone and allows me to, uh, turn them into not live photos. So it saves a space. So you cut a live photo down from like 12, 15 megabytes down to like three, four megabytes, you know, you got a few hundred photos like that. You save some space. Sure. And the app takes up room in itself. And yeah, but it, it, it allows me to kind of cut down on, on photos that take up more space and to kind of, uh, pinch a little bit. I do it too, where I'll go through, cause I'll do a lot of burst photos and thankfully all the burst photos are saved in their own folder in the photos app. So then I just go through and just delete all the burst photos or just save one of them. And then that frees up a lot of space as well. Yeah, I find that I have a lot of screenshots that I've taken when I'm yeah. looking at different apps and reviewing apps. And, and those are saved in their own folder as well, which makes it easier to go back and delete them. Yes. So the answer is that most people are are either uncomfortable with or have not yet taken advantage of the cloud storage options that Apple pushes forward. And when they they do, it's possible to use the lower storage phone. But if you don't have to, 
then most people don't. Yeah, and certainly there are a lot of people that just get the lower capacity phone because it saves them a hundred bucks or whatever, and that's a perfectly fine option. It really depends on what your computing needs are, especially on the go. You know, iPhones now are more powerful than ever before. Uh, iMovie, I, I'm always singing the praises of it on on iPhone because it's fantastic. I mean, if you think about ten years ago, what it used to take to edit a video, you'd have to shoot it essentially on on tape, get some way of converting that over to a computer, uh, and then. Yeah. And then uh, having to edit it and then how would you export it? Well, there was certainly no YouTube to put it on, um, uh, you know, 10 or 11 years ago. So uh, you would have to find a place to store it or burn it onto a DVD or something. You know, the, the capabilities now to shoot and edit and text message or post on Facebook or YouTube or whatever the videos from your phone are beyond powerful. Um, and and the capabilities are, are very powerful. And so people want more storage so they can do more of that kind of stuff. I want to point out, YouTube was founded 11 years ago. We're getting old. You, you, you said 10 or 11 years ago there was no YouTube, and actually, there was. But, uh, you, you know, you're right. that it, it used to be a lot more of a process to deal with video. You had to deal with the tape, and when you uploaded footage from your, your camera to your computer, it took it in real time. So you had to sit and play through the hours yep. of footage that you'd shot in real time. and. Yep. Then, you know, and if you were doing multiple tapes, you had to change tapes and import those again in real time. It was kind of laborious uh, and, yeah. and then go through and edit them. And then you're right. What do you do when you export? Well, back in the old days, you used a DVD because you had a DVD recorder around and you could use iDVD to export a DVD. And that, too, was another task. You're, you're, you're right. Mobile iMovie makes a big difference. Um, the, the phone really does become a... a computer a personal computer that's with you everywhere you go and when it is that computer then we, we use it like one and that's where the storage needs come from i want to get to our next question which i know you'll like so does the audio quality of the airpods justify the price wireless is nice but at the end of the day sound quality matters to me says the the asker so let's uh let's look we've got our super cool airpods review that we published today, uh, written by Daniel Aaron Dilger. And what do you think of the AirPods? Have you had a chance to use them yet? No, I haven't. I'm, I'm not interested in the AirPods. I think they look a little goofy. Um, and <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't trust them not to fall out of my ears. And so I suppose I'm sure somebody out there makes some sort of ad- adapter to clip it around my ear or something. Um, but then I can't put it in the charging case to charge it. I have to take them off and I'm, you know, and and I like to run outside, and I just see it being a, a very costly disaster. So it's not a product for me. Um, okay. So I, I'm not interested in them. However, uh, the reviews, including our own from Dan, um, all talk about how the sound quality is surprisingly good. Um, the the fit is uh, similar to the earpods, but uh, slightly better. Um, and without a cable snagging around your neck, they stay in your ears better. And, you know, I've read a lot of various takes online and most people say that the the AirPods stay in your ear extremely well. People seem very, very pleased by it. There is the occasional person who couldn't get it to stay in their ear. It was fumbling around. Everybody's got different ears. Uh, Apple went for a one size fits all approach and uh, uh, that's their way of doing it. And uh, it's not going to be for everybody. Um, it may be something that you want to try before you buy or at least pop your AirPods back in and see how comfortable you are with those before you buy the AirPods. But you know, this question asked about price. Uh, well, if you compare uh, other wireless products on the market, and by wireless, I mean entirely wireless, 
uh, like the Brag Eye Dash and the Samsung ones and whatever else. Uh, Apple's AirPods at uh, $170 are the cheapest option on the market when it comes to entirely wireless. Not only that, uh, Apple has technology in there, so each earpiece communicates directly with the phone rather than to one another is how the other ones work. Um, so the other ones, uh, from what I've read are way more susceptible to dropouts because sending a wireless signal between your skull, uh, is kind of difficult, uh, sending signals through, you know, flesh and, and watery substances, uh, gets blocked as we've talked about on this podcast before with Bluetooth reception issues and all that. So it gets amplified when you have two earpieces. So Apple got around that by not having the earpieces necessarily communicate with one another, but having them communicate through the phone. Um, and that seems to make a difference from the testing. You also have to factor in Apple's W1 chip, which I do have experience with in using the uh, PowerBeats 3, and it is a rock-solid connection that works fantastic. Uh, so again, you have the easier pairing associated with it. Uh, the fact these things cost $30 less than the PowerBeats 3, they're completely wireless. They come with the battery charging case, which can recharge you know, four or five times on your, on your AirPods, which on their own get about five hours of charge, which means that with, with this charging case, you'll only have to plug it in about once a week to keep using the AirPods. So there's a lot of advantages here and it's a pretty good product and all the reviews bear that out, including our own. Yeah. And our own has a great picture of Dan doing a headstand, trying to get them to fall out and he can't get them to fall out. So in terms of fit, they totally pass. To to answer the 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 uh, listener's question about sound quality, it, it seems to be that they're just darn very good. I know that that's hard to answer, but they're, you know, we're going from reviews and reviews are written in words. We haven't had a chance to actually hear them for our own ears. Um, in their current design, AirPods sound quality does benefit from EQ settings and you can manually raise or lower their sound, but this requires adjusting things from your Mac, iPhone, or Apple Watch, or alternatively using Siri. So um, doing a little bit of EQ with them helps. And by EQ, that's uh, in the music app, you can change to different types of music, acoustic, bass booster, bass reducer, things like that. Using those settings makes a difference. They're, uh, they're, they're quite good. Let's keep going. Um, what do you think, Neil? Um, we have a, a, a couple on uh, Twitter here that we got. Uh, one from Leah Meekin that says, uh, they're looking to upgrade their iPhone 6 in early 2017. They want to know if they should go for the 7, wait for the 7S, or wait for the 8. Uh, interesting question. Um, and I think that the the answer there is, I usually say I give it like a six-month window when it comes to making recommendations to people. If you're buying within six months of the launch of an iPhone, you should get it. Um, next year's iPhone situation is is going to be interesting because the expectation is that there's going to be three new iPhones. There's going to be two ones that look like the 7, and then there's going to be a new high-end phone, which will probably cost even more. Uh, and it's going to have an all-new design. Um, I think that people are going to be really, really excited for a new design iPhone because it'll have been you know, over three years in the making at that point. So the question I would uh, ask somebody who would want to know when they should buy an iPhone is, how bad do you really want a new design? Because if you're within that six-month window of the launch of a new iPhone, I'd say buy it. If you're outside of that six-month window, then just wait because you're close enough you know, to the next one. But... Um, yeah, I would say if you're really, really excited about the eight, then um, then for the new design, then I would wait. And I, I would also say, since we're talking about the idea of the eight, you know, the eight has the uh, the no, the eight has a, uh, a. We've had rumors about curved screens, and it looks like one of the rumors is saying that that's going to be an OLED piece of glass from Samsung. 
Yes. Um, the, the expectation is that Samsung is going to be the sole supplier of OLED displays for the next iPhone uh, because Samsung is the only company with the capacity to do that. Uh, others like Japan Display are trying to ramp up capacity. And that's more of an insider thing. I mean, it doesn't really matter who's supplying the display for people buying a new phone. But um, OLED could potentially lead to battery life savings and better picture quality on the new iPhone. But the capacity remains limited, which is why it's expected that OLED is only going to be featured on the all new design, quote unquote, iPhone 8, or I've heard it referred to as the iPhone X, because it'll be 10 years after the launch of the first iPhone. So um, with OLED, you could potentially have battery life savings because of the technology, the way it works. Um, uh, it could it could uh, use less power to power the screen. Uh, the colors are brighter and more vibrant and stuff like that. So uh, expect that new high-end iPhone to have a really, really, really great screen. One of, of uh, James's questions was, can we interpret good things from Tim Cook's remarks about Apple's commitment to the Mac? Or can we speculate Apple will just slap a Mac badge on any computer and say, see, what about the Mac Pro and Mac Mini? Will desktop Macs slim down to the iMac exclusively? And will the Mac get so paper thin they'll just have to go with only integrated graphics to keep it from overheating? And and he goes on, you know, will, will 3DX point come to the iMac in 2017? And if so, only 128 gig or so to start, hybrid SSD and 3DX point. I, I think we talked about the Mac a little bit, but the reason why I read these questions is that it's clear that a lot of people are really experiencing anxiety about what's going to happen to the Mac. Yeah, I, I, again, that goes back to this small subset of people that really need those power user features. I mean, you know, Macs today are more powerful than they've ever been, uh, but some people need that more horsepower with a dedicated graphics card and all that kind of stuff. I remain hopeful that um, Apple will uh, use Thunderbolt 3 and USB-C to increase the expandability of the um, Macintosh line. So, uh, there, there are hacks that people can put together where they can plug in an external graphics card to a MacBook Pro um, and get some horsepower that way. There have been rumors of a uh, of displays with integrated graphics cards that would you know kind of push pixels. Um, so you could have a discrete graphics card when you're docked at home to your MacBook Pro and turn it into essentially you know a workstation, a very powerful computer. And then on the go, you have your keyboard and your screen and all that kind of stuff. Uh, remains to be seen whether that actually happens, but that's something that I would be very excited about uh, as somebody who likes to have that extra horsepower when I'm sitting at a desk or whatever and don't necessarily need the portability. You've invented the Mac Duo dock. <laughs> you remember that really, really old one? Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the ones that was on Seinfeld years ago. Um, you know, th this is... I I've been thinking and I wonder, it, years ago... When you know, 1997, 98, when when Apple was in critical condition, uh, there were a number of people that were strongly loyal to Apple at the time because they loved their Macintoshes. And what I wonder is: is are people's loyalties to the Mac? Are people's loyalties to Apple? Are people's loyalties to their iPhone? And you know, if if Apple discontinued the Mac tomorrow. What would what would happen? Would there be limited outrage from a limited number of people, as you suggest, or or is this um, is there some bigger emotional attachment to the Mac that Apple either don't see or haven't taken into account because they think the emotional attachment is to Apple? I mean, I think that uh, I, I think that both sides are true on this one. You know, Apple runs a business, and Apple also is trying to define the future of computing and. And notebooks and computers in their current form factor are pretty well established, right? You know, we can have a debate over touchscreens versus the touch bar and the utility of 
extending your arm out while using a, a Surface Pro and how tiring that can be and how Apple's own user tests have found that it's not a good way of computing. But, you know, other than that kind of stuff, for the most part, by and large, uh, e- even stuff that is quote unquote revolutionary, like the uh, uh, the, the Surface uh, Pro uh, that that Microsoft makes that, that docks with a keyboard and then detaches as a tablet, but when it's docked, it has a more powerful uh, processor and all that kind of stuff. I mean, even still, you're still dealing with the same general form factor of a laptop, right? I mean, okay, now you can detach a tablet and still do stuff with it, but at the end of the day, it's still a screen that clamshells into a keyboard, you know? Um, so I think that when Apple is is looking at that, that, that is part of when you're talking about the future of computing and all that, that's where their bias is. That's what they're they're looking for is to find the next thing, the big thing that's going to define the next, you know, 20 years of computing, having played such a large part in the last 30 years of personal computing. But on the flip side, for users, as you say, there's some sort of emotional attachment here for people that stuck by a company even through the crummy years, even through, you know, the mid-90s when God knows what they were thinking with some of that stuff. Um, you know, the people that were there during the resurgence, you know, the 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 colorful IMAX that came out in the late 90s and kind of leading into the resurgence as, as Steve Jobs came back and as the company kind of got their stuff together. You know, there are people that feel a loyalty there because it's like it's like rooting for a sports team through all the crappy years. Like, you know, you were a Boston Red Sox fan up until, you know, 2004 or whatever it was. And, you know, you went through all those crappy years and now all the bandwagoners are on there and you're upset about them showing up and selling out Fenway and all that. Um I, I think that, uh, you know, there's an emotional attachment there. And and certainly I, I don't think that the Mac is going to be discontinued anytime soon or anything dramatic like that. Um, but it's clear that Apple's focus is elsewhere and, and Apple's reasoning for doing so is is definitely sound. Uh, but that's de- that's not going to make people any happier. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think people are clearly anxious now. Let's see if, if that anxiety subsides. In the near future. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. For myself personally, um, I would love to see some big changes to the Mac. Uh, I really like the new MacBook Pro. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of potential with the USB-C connector. Um, having tested the uh, the new 21.5-inch uh, 4K uh, LG monitor, which I uh, we published a review of last week, you know, I was very upset about the ditching of the MagSafe. Uh, connector, but in using the 21.5 inch uh, 4K monitor from LG, uh, the Ultrafine, uh, I, I really started to see the utility and the reason that Apple decided to get rid of uh, MagSafe because just connecting that one cable is pretty great and it really makes for an awesome computing experience. So, um, you know, as those accessories come to market and as things become available, there are opportunities for. Um, the Mac to become more than it even is. Um, certainly what I would like to see is some sort of uh, external, either wireless or wired if they have to, keyboard uh, with a touch bar on that um, so that you could have uh, all the advantages of a touch bar while using it as in desktop mode. I, as I was saying before, I'd really like to be able to just dock my MacBook Pro, have a graphics card and a, an a external monitor connected to it, keyboard and mouse, sit down at a workstation, get stuff done. And then when I got to go on the go, unplug one cable, it's charged and ready to go. I think that would be a really, really great experience for both power users and for traditional users who don't plug it into anything. I think that everybody wins in that scenario. All right. So tell me more about the LG. 
Uh, the LG Ultrafine, uh, th- there are two models uh, of this that are coming out. Apple has gotten out of the display business and uh, they've partnered with LG to make these kind of featured devices. They're not necessarily uh, going to remain Apple exclusive, but for right now, you can only buy it at the Apple store. So a couple months ago, uh, the 21.5 inch 4K model launched, which is the one that I reviewed. I should note that this last week, the 27 inch 5K model uh, has started shipping to consumers. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for a review on Apple Insider in the coming weeks. But for now, I just tested the smaller one, 21.5 inch. Now, it's not a coincidence that both of these screen sizes are the exact same screen sizes as Apple's iMac lineup. They do a 21.5 inch and a 27 inch. Um, And as with the iMac, uh, the different size monitors uh, offer you different features. The smaller one is a little bit less powerful and a little bit less capable. The larger one has a better resolution and has full-fledged Thunderbolt 3 support. So that's really the the main issue that I have um, with the main issues that I have, I should say, with the 21.5 inch ultrafine 4K from LG is it doesn't use Thunderbolt 3. It uses USB-C with the USB 3.1 connection. And what that means is uh, you plug in one cable, you get the monitor, you get sound, all that stuff, but the USB-C ports on the back of the monitor only run at USB 2.0 speeds. They run at a slower speed. That's because the USB 3.1 protocol does not have enough bandwidth to power more uh, faster uh, uh, accessories and a 4K screen at the same time. So they had to make that concession. And the reason they made that concession is because the 12-inch MacBook uh, does not have a Thunderbolt 3 port. It only has a USB-C 3.1 port, the single port on it. So so this monitor works great if you have that 12-inch. And I think that it should be something to consider for the people that have the 13-inch MacBook Pro. Um, Certainly, you're not going to get the full speed and capability out of the new MacBook Pro. Uh, but especially if you have the one without the touch bar, um, I think the 21.5 inch is a good option. I don't think that most people are going to notice the difference uh, uh, going to USB 2.0 speeds versus 3.1. You know, unless you're doing a ton of stuff with external hard drives and all that, um, I think that for most users it'll be fine. And it depends on your desk space too. Some people just can't accommodate a 27 inch screen; it's just too big. So what what are the downsides throughout this besides the the USB 2 speeds? What what would keep you from getting this one? Well, what gave me pause was I was testing it with the new 13-inch MacBook Pro with Touch Bar. And uh, if you want to use it in a desktop mode and you clamshell your MacBook Pro, you've just lost your Touch Bar. It's gone. Uh, You've not only lost that, but you've lost these great uh, four, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the speakers on it, uh, sound fantastic on the new MacBook pro. Well, you don't have those anymore either. You're, you're losing some of the advantages of the redesign of the MacBook pro by, by docking it and connecting it to this monitor. Uh, and so if you're planning on using it as a dual monitor setup, even then it's kind of a problem because if your eyes are going to the bigger screen, um, then you're not gonna be looking at the screen in front of you on the MacBook, which means that uh, your eyes are not really in a place to be looking at the touch bar, which kind of defeats some of the purpose of it. It would be nice if Apple uh, decided to make a magic keyboard with a touch bar on it. Uh, I think that would solve a lot of this problem. Um, it's, if, if you wanna use this in a dual monitor setup, then you have a smaller 13 inch, and then you have a big 21.5 inch, and then the, the 13 inches on your desk and the 21.5 inches raised up on a monitor. They're not really next to each other. It, it makes for kind of a cumbersome experience when you're doing it as a dual monitor setup with the screen built into your MacBook. So I, I think that um, this is a great option for anyone with the 12 inch MacBook. It's a great option if you have the new 13 inch MacBook Pro without touch bar. 
Uh, if you get the 13-inch MacBook Pro with Touch Bar, uh, then I would ask yourself how often you're going to be using the speed of Thunderbolt 3 and USB 3, and how often you're going to be using the Touch Bar itself, and how often you're going to be using Touch ID uh, to log in as well, because you're not going to get those features while it's clamshelled. Um, if you have the 15-inch MacBook Pro, then I would not recommend this, because the 15-inch MacBook Pro has its own dedicated graphics card. And the jump up from 15 to 21.5 inches is not as significant as it would be from 15 to 27 inches. So if you get the 27-inch model, it has it does Thunderbolt 3 instead of USB 3, which makes it not compatible with the 12 point with the 12-inch MacBook Pro. Uh, it no no 12-inch MacBook MacBook. Right? Thank you. Yes, too much jargon here. Um, so the 15-inch MacBook Pro will connect over to Thunderbolt 3, and it has full speed USB 3.1 ports through USB C on the back of it. So all of your USB accessories connected to the back of the 27-inch model will run at full speed. They won't have any slowdown. And it's a higher resolution 5K monitor. So with the dedicated graphics card and the larger screen on the 15-inch, I think you have to go to the 27-inch model to justify the purchase. I think that for tweeners on the 13-inch MacBook Pro, depends on your usage case. Uh, but the screen is gorgeous. And the ability to connect just one cable and have that do sound and data and video and power and all of that uh, is awesome. Uh, you just sit down at your desk, plug in one cable, bam, you're good to go. Everything just starts working. There, there isn't even a power button on the monitor. There aren't even any controls on the monitor. It's as simple as you could get. Uh, dead simple. And the power just comes through the monitor, which is then plugged into your wall. You only need that one cable, and then you can keep your power adapter and USB-C cable in your backpack or whatever for when you're on the go. All right. So what does it cost? What do I have to pay out to get this thing? So Apple um, has been doing a discount on uh, USB-C accessories because of user complaints um, uh, with the switch to USB-C. Uh, so right now you can get the uh, 21.5 inch LG Ultrafine for $524. The price is going to go up uh, as of March 31st to $699. It was originally going to be January 1st of... Uh, of 2017, but they pushed the deadline back. So for $524, you get a gorgeous 4K 21.5 inch screen. Uh, it's a pretty good deal. Um, and I think that uh, if you're in the market for that size of a screen and you don't mind the concessions, I think you'll be very happy with it. The 27 inch model that just started shipping um, is currently $974. When it goes up as of March 31st to its full price, it'll be uh, $1,299.95. So good time to buy if you're on the market for these monitors. They're competitively priced right now. Uh, the 27-inch has some other features that you don't get, like a built-in camera and all that. Um, and I think that that's a, a pretty good option for a lot of folks too, especially if you got a 15-inch MacBook Pro. If you have an older Mac though, don't bother. You're going to be in dongle hell. You're going to need adapters to plug in your Mac Pro or whatever. Um, it's it's probably not worth it. And I would, you know, this goes back to talking about whether Apple caters to pro users or whatever. Uh, keep your fingers crossed, I guess, that they'll do a Mac Pro update. But I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I couldn't recommend buying one of these monitors and plugging with a bunch of dongles and stuff. You're better off just getting another brand monitor. Diminishing returns, right? You, you, you get it. You have to get all these adapters and then you wouldn't even be able to take advantage of, of all of its capabilities, right? Yeah. What makes these monitors great is the simplicity of it. And you've defeated the simplicity of it if you need to go through adapter hell. You know, for folks that have a new MacBook Pro and they're trying to connect old monitors and they're trying to save some money, okay, that makes sense. But if you've got an old Mac Pro and you're trying to connect this new monitor to it, I think you're going to, I think you're going to be unhappy. Right. I want to take a moment and talk again about some deals we've got for you. 
this time around, I'm going to mention that we've got the 32 gig Apple TV for $109, Magic Keyboard for $77, Magic Mouse 2 for $52, and the Magic Trackpad 2 for $96. So certainly there's mice, keyboards, and trackpads available at really good deals. I also want to mention that the 64 gig Apple TV is available for $149, which is $50 off its list price, and no sales tax outside New York and New Jersey. So this is again through our good partners, Adorama. And if you go through our, our website, through a link that'll be in the show notes, you can go and use the uh, promo code AP Insider and take advantage of these deals. Neil, what, what do you think? We've got Paul Bruto asking a question about Apple's move into augmented reality as the next big thing. And he's not talking about holding up the phone as much as, you know, holding up the phone to your face or, or doing something like that, as much as true augmented reality, as he says, with, with some of the contact lenses and things like that, real face recognition, uh, Apple Watches sharing info with each other. What, what do you think about this kind of thing? Uh, there's a lot of potential there, um, and I think it's pretty exciting. And you can see some of the groundwork being laid with, you know, dual camera lenses on the iPhone 7 and some of the patents that Apple has shown interest in, and uh, particularly when it comes to mapping and finding locations and stuff like that. Um, we haven't really seen Apple make a push into augmented reality Um but they have admitted publicly, which is strange uh, for a secretive company, that they're interested in it. Um, I, I think that uh, what you'll see from Apple is maybe not necessarily augmented reality hardware, uh, because I don't think that the technology is there yet to make it something that is sleek and attractive and uh, uh, th- that most people would want to wear. Um, this is a lot of the issues that you, they were running into with the Apple Watch, which how do you make something fashionable and attractive that, that people would want to wear? Well, it's the Google Glass issue, right? Right. You look like a total geek. Um now, of course, you kind of look like a geek wearing AirPods. So what do I know? But um, I, I think that, uh, you know, something on your wrists, uh, solid piece of whatever is is easier to uh, get away with uh, being a little geeky as opposed to something on your face where people are looking at you when they speak to you. Uh, then it becomes a little bit more difficult. So you can look at the Snapchat approach where they have these like kind of oversized glasses and they're kind of embracing the geekiness and weirdness of it. Um, versus Google trying to be like sleek or whatever, but it just didn't come off. It just kind of made you look like a loser. I think that uh, when when you think about Apple and augmented reality, you kind of have to throw your conventions of what augmented reality is going to be 15, 20 years from now and think a little bit more shorter term and realistic in terms of uh, uh, what you can do with current technology. We're not at a point right now where you can have traditional glasses that somebody would wear and embed all the technology in there and have them just look like normal glasses. We just don't have that technology right now. So you could think about applications just where you would maybe hold your phone up or look at stuff on it um, and have augmented reality work that way. Um, One of the ideas that's been put out there is that perhaps Apple will get into the virtual and augmented reality space by folding it into the made for iPhone program. So in the same way that you can make accessories for iPhone or you can make, you know, game controllers or, you know, home kit things or whatever, there will be a licensing program of, you know, made for Apple AR VR. And it could be headsets that you plug on your head if you want to wear those. It could be apps that uh, allow you to interact with the world around you just by holding up your phone and looking at it. Um, It could be things that use the dual camera setup on the iPhone 7 Plus. Uh, There's a lot of groundwork laid there for potential, you know, using the gyroscopes and GPS accelerometer data and all that in your iPhone. Uh, You could easily see where Apple could create a platform to allow people to do those sorts of things. But I don't see them necessarily uh, in the short term making a wearable device in the vein of the Apple Watch for augmented reality because I don't think the technology is there and I think it would be a failure. 
Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, no one really wants to wear anything on their faces. Right. And, and you know, contact lenses for people who don't need to wear contact lenses is also not a thing. Right. Right. Unless, unless you're changing your eye color through colored contact lenses for some reason, no one does this. So, but it, could you sell people on it if you could pack that technology into a contact lens? Maybe. I mean, but I'd be again, hesitant. You know, we're it's talking about we're talking about battery life. We're talking about size. Well, I mean, technology. For, for, forget about those things. The question is, what's the experience that you deliver? Right? Whose whose problem are you solving? And what is the job to be done? Right? Is is the job helping someone who's a technician be able to maintain or or construct whatever they're working on better because they have a diagram that's overlaid on top of their reality so they can see exactly what it should look like when they're finished? Or, or is it about, you know, helping jog your memory when you're introduced to someone? Is it about, you know, what, what are I the mean, kinds I, of applications? I, well, I think that the applications for augmented reality are limitless. I mean, you think about how excited people were with a blank canvas of a screen on a phone or a tablet where it could turn into anything you wanted with buttons wherever you needed, what have you. Yeah, but um, it took us a while to figure out how to use that thing. The, the early, early applications, many of them were recreations of applications from Palm OS or Windows CE. Right. We had but, to learn what to do with this thing. But it went, once the App Store opened, yes, there were a lot of failures and a lot of things that weren't uh, particularly good. Uh, but it, it it was the limitless potential that, that people saw that made the App Store so successful and so exciting and continues to be to this day, Right. So take all of that blank canvas concept and apply it to the world around you. And the, the possibilities, if the technology works, become limitless, right? You could, um, you know, uh, uh, envision, uh, just think about like, for example, decorating a home, uh, pieces of furniture, seeing how they would fit, how they would look, uh, painting your walls, wallpaper, uh, you know, changing the color of things, whatever, whatever you want to do, you could do entire interior design just by having an application that would give you the ability to do that sort of thing. And the technology is there currently to do it. It's just not in a wearable form, right? There's certainly apps that you can do that with on your iPhone. But imagine if you were there and could almost, you know, see it uh, with your own eyes, essentially, uh, trying on clothes. You know, imagine if there was an application where you could go to an online store and you never know how this stuff's going to fit, right? You just never know how it's going to fit. Well, it has a body scan of you. You stand in front of a mirror, you wear these glasses, and now you look and you see how the shirt's going to look on you, that kind of stuff. I mean, there, there's possible uh, educational. Yeah, and that's, that's actually something Levi's used to do years ago. Levi's used to have in their physical retail stores a body scanner where you'd step in, it would scan you, and then place an order for custom-made jeans that would actually fit. Exactly. Uh, and, and you talked about remembering people. You know, you see them, it recognizes their face. It goes, oh, that's Joe. You know, you know him from here. It gives you little things that you can quickly access without having to pull out a phone or look or check something, you know. Uh, uh, all kinds of applications. Think about for like educational purposes. If you were to visit uh, uh, ruins of a city or something, you could have it be virtually brought back to life in front of you. And you could see what it was like. I mean, it's so exciting and there's so much potential for augmented reality that uh, any company that is into technology and advancing it would be interested in augmented reality. I mean, the potential is limitless and we haven't even scratched the surface when it comes to things like games and all that. So I, I think that, you know, obviously it makes sense for Apple to be looking to augmented reality. Obviously, 
uh, they see something there because I think anybody who has the foresight to see what technology is capable of can see the limitless potential of augmented reality. The form that it takes is the question, how do you get to that place where it's a contact lens or, you know, if you want to go black mirror on this, a chip implanted in the back of your head or something like that, you know, how do we get to that point where it becomes a seamless experience where um, you are not looking like a total dork for using it? That's a very good question. I don't have the answers yet. (laughs) You want to move on to another question? Uh, we have another one on Twitter here from Darren Main, and he wants to know, is it worth the upgrade from the Watch Series 1 to Series 2? Uh, I don't want to correct you, Darren, because perhaps you worded the question properly, but um, uh, my assumption here is that you're thinking of the first generation Apple Watch, and uh, this gives me an opportunity as, to kind of- As opposed to the confusingly named Series 1? Yeah. So what happened was when the new Apple Watch came out this fall, Apple launched three new models. Um Basically, I mean, if you want to get into, you know, the, they, well, the ceramic they, want, they, they launched two and a half new models. Well, the ceramic one, if you wanted to count that as its own model, I suppose, uh, the, the, the new edition, which is not, you know, I'm, I'm counting series one as a half new model. Fair enough. Um, but then there's also the Apple watch sport, uh, or I'm sorry, the Nike Apple watch. So here, here's your lineup. Apple watch first generation launched in April of 2015 is no more. It is not being sold by Apple. If you can find it at the store, it's heavily discounted. It's a it's a essentially a dead product. That doesn't mean that um, I've just destroyed the resale value of my new inbox <laughs> first it, version. Watch. It, it does not mean that you should be unhappy with your first generation Apple Watch. It just means that Apple realized the processor was too slow and they moved on. So they released two different variants this year. They have the Series One watch, which has a faster dual core processor. Um, essentially the same chip that's in the series two watch. It just lacks GPS and it lacks the waterproofing. Uh, I thought it was a, wait a minute, correct me. Cause I thought it was a single core version of the same board that's in series two. I believe it's a dual core chip. All right, carry on. Let me look and check. I don't have the series one watch, but the reason I say all of this is because I believe that this question being asked by Darren, he's referring to the first generation last year's Apple watch. watch. Because a lot of people think that the Series 1 is they just discounted the price of last year's model, but they no, did not. It's a new board. So if you read, it's a S1P. It's a dual core processor, but it's not the S2. It's a new variant of the S1 called the S1P that's a dual core processor. I see that. And then the S2, who knows what the difference is? I guess they're faster, but you know, with, with this weird branding that Apple does, that's just the way it is. Uh, the Series 2 has built-in GPS and it's water resistant uh, 50 meters. The brand new Series 1 is not water resistant. It is splash resistant, so you could shower with it, but you wouldn't want to swim with it, basically. Right. Other than that, the watches are uh, largely the same. The um, second generation one has a twice as bright screen, uh, the Series 2 versus the Series 1. Um, and then when you get in the rest of the lineup, they have the same internal hardware as the Series 2. So the Nike Apple Watch has a... Uh, S2 processor, waterproof, uh, GPS, all that. Um, and then the high-end uh, uh, stainless steel and ceramic edition versions uh, have the same uh, screen and, and uh, processing power and all that kind of stuff. So if you have so, a Series 1, should you get a Series 2? No. If you have a first generation, should you get a Series 2? Maybe if you're an outdoor runner, I think so, yeah. And if you're not an outdoor runner or a swimmer? Don't bother. Wait for next generation. 
the watch os3 upgrade uh makes a huge difference in performance and you're not going to notice that big of a difference uh switching to the series 2 it certainly is faster but it's not worth your $400 to get it faster okay good answer all right well let's go to our next question uh dan rayner wanted some info about vpns and pop-up blockers actually okay um what do you know about pop-up blockers um i don't really have a lot of problems with pop-ups uh per se um and i'm I'm, i don't support ad blockers um we've talked about this before just because i run a website and we make our money from free content with ads on it so uh, you know, I, I would hope that folks would consider allowing ads when they go to Apple Insider. And wrong person uh, to ask. That's the uh, that's the um, how we make money, but uh, and, and how I pay my bills. But um, when it comes to VPN, I, I did mention it on the podcast last week, and I'll mention it again. Um, I tried out an app while I was in Mexico, so I could use HBO Go or HBO Now, whichever it is, called Tunnel Bear, and uh, was extremely pleased. Uh, very simple UI. Uh, transparent pricing, very fair. It was $4 for unlimited data for a month. Um, super easy to use. Um, I, I really was happy with it. So uh, if you want to try VPN uh, on your iPhone or iPad, um, the experience was uh, fantastic. You just tapped what country you wanted to appear that you were coming from. It uh, would automatically uh, enable the VPN settings on iOS and you were good to go, and I could stream the content, and I was extremely happy with it. So Tunnel Bear comes highly recommended. If you have any pop-up blockers or ad blockers you can recommend, Victor, that would let you decide yeah. on that. Uh, so Tunnel Bear is a very popular one, and it has been for years. I, I've also used Private Internet Access, which is a VPN service and works on iPhone and on Mac. And uh, NordVPN is another one that I'm trying out. The, the question that you need to ask yourself is what you're using a VPN for and what you hope to get out of it. Are you trying to obfuscate traffic from uh, your, your local connection and local provider? Are you trying to, to make sure that your data as you go across the internet isn't logged? What, what, what are you trying to really do? Are you trying to prevent yourself from being exposed at a coffee shop kind of thing where people can sniff your, your data that way? Um, it, it depends on the threat model. And, you know, if your threat model is you're trying to avoid being hacked by three-letter government agencies who are determined to get at you, I have no advice whatsoever because I just don't know how to do that and I don't know how to make a good recommendation. But if, if you're trying to increase your privacy and increase your security of data through encrypting your traffic, using a VPN is a decent answer. Finding a VPN provider that has a policy of keeping zero logs is a good idea. Um, how you decide that you can trust them for having a zero logs policy is another question, and that's another one that I don't have a good answer to. But for example, both NordVPN and, and Private Internet Access VPN both say, or PIA VPN, both say that they have zero logs policies. So uh, that's where I would uh, begin looking. And I really don't have good information about pop-up blockers because pop-ups aren't a problem I've experienced in a few years. Uh, for whatever reason, the sites that I go to don't really have pop-ups. The, uh, the, the using just Safari as it ships from Apple, I haven't had that as a big issue. I've had a few times where it's been an annoyance. And in that case, I force quit Safari and, and reopen and don't open the windows that cause those problems. I, I'm sorry, that's not a better answer. Well, Neil, on that note, let's have a resounding end to episode 100 of the Apple Insider podcast. Where can people find you on the internet? 
Uh, you can read my stuff on appleinsider.com and you can follow me on Twitter at this is Neil, N-E-I-L. And I'm your host, Victor Marks. I'm at VMarks on Twitter. And this has been the Apple Insider Podcast. And if Neil decides that he wants to upgrade from a Series 1 watch to a Series 3 watch, we'll tell you all about it sometime in the future on the Apple Insider Podcast. Thank you very much, everybody. And please feel free to leave reviews on iTunes. We hope they're positive ones, but we totally understand if you aren't. We read all the comments. We read all the reviews. We really care about what you guys think. And we hope that you enjoy listening. So please feel free to read reviews, and we'll see you next week.